Genesis Foundation. Dublin. Welcome to The Quarantine Tapes, a daily podcast from Onassis, L.A. and Dublin. Hosted by Paul Holdengraber, this series chronicles shifting paradigms in the era of social distancing. Hello, could I please speak with oh. Catherine Lacey? Hello, Catherine. It's such a pleasure to have you on this call on the Quarantine Tapes co-presented by Onassis LA and DubLab. It's a real pleasure to speak to you. I'm delighted to find you. And let me ask you, where do I find you and how have you been spending these last delirious 18 or 19 months? Well, it's great to talk to you, Paul. I'm I'm sitting in my uh, closet in (laughs) my house in Chicago. In your closet. Yeah, spending a a weird amount of time in this closet over the last 18 or 19 months, however long it's been. Describe the closet. Well, it's very narrow, and it has one door that kind of folds in half and opens, so I can pretty much just get in here completely. And it's just uh, a little bit of clothes in here, and and that's about it. Today, just by sheer virtue of serendipity, I came across this quotation, and you probably know that I'm a quotomaniac by profession, and this, this, yeah. quote, this quotation just struck me, and I want to read it to you. It's a bit longer than some of the quotations, and have you react to it. I, okay. I, I somehow feel that it might, it just might resonate with you. It's by Grace Paley. One of the reasons writers are so much more interested in life than others who just go on living all the time is that the writer doesn't understand the first thing about just what he acts like such a specialist about, and that is life. And the reason he writes is to explain it all to himself, and the less he understands to begin with, the more he probably writes. And he takes his understanding, whatever it is, the face of wealth, the collapse of his father's pride, the misuses of love, hopeless poverty, he simply never gets over it. He's like an idealist who marries nearly the same woman over and over again. He tries to write with different names and faces, using different professions and labors, other forms to travel the shortest distance to the way things really are. How does that speak to you? Very directly, as Grace Paley always does, it's so interesting that you bring that quote up just now because I've been reading, there's a book of of Donald Bartholomew's that it's just a bunch of nonfiction and, and this and that and panels he was on and interviews he gave and it came out posthumously. And the section of it that has most interested me is a panel discussion that he did with Grace Paley, William Gass, and Walker Persky. Goodness and me. she goes on at, at length about um, exactly this, although in different, in, in, different, in different terms, that every time she writes, she's always starting in a place of not knowing and that her hope is not that she reaches a place of, of knowing necessarily, but the tension of not knowing and moving towards something 
is the reason that she writes something and it's the thing that she hopes is translated to the reader when they read it. That sense of someone trying to complete a circuit and never quite getting there rather than delivering some sort of immovable truth with a piece of fiction. It's rather to her, and I, I agree with it or I recognize it at this point in my life, this, this confusion is more appropriate for a work of fiction than delivering a, a fact or a conclusion that you've already reached. Um, the discussion mm-hmm. between the four of them is, is completely fascinating. It's, they kind of open with, what can a writer really know? What, what can we safely say that a writer knows how to do or, or what do they know about the world? Is there some kind of measurable knowledge that a writer or a work of fiction can have? Um, and it's, it's a fascinating conversation. I've been, I've been kind of pouring over it in the last couple of days. I must, re- I must listen to it. Is this something you've seen or something you've read? I've read it. It's it's a transcript that I presume has been edited down a little bit. That it, it happened in October of 1975, and then was published as this transcript 11 years later, and then was collected into this junk drawer book that is Donald Barthelme's kind of errata. It's interesting that you should have said at this point it's what interests you. I, I have a feeling that this point will last your lifetime. <laughs> Possibly, although I do think that I've been so certain about different things in the past that, you know, so sure that some belief that I had or some way that I was doing things is how I would always do it. And I've, I have yet to really reach a place where I feel completely firm in, in my beliefs or, or way of, of making or way of thinking. I'm always hesitant to really make claims about who, who I am or what I really believe, you know. I mean, beyond some like truly, truly basic things, but especially when it comes in the realm of like art and intellect and everything, I could see how my aims as an artist, um, almost by definition, will must change over time. Um, it's interesting, and in, in, to go back to the panel discussion between these four writers, they're all at different ages. You know, like Walker Percy is, I think, quite old. Maybe he's almost seventy or, or over seventy, and Bartholomew is only in his forties, and I think. Grace Paley was in her, her mid-50s, and when I started to think about them at different points of their development, that the kind of the, the lines of tension and points of disagreement sort of made more sense. And I, I think if you got had gotten Walker Percy when he was 35, he would have been a bit punchier, but as it was, he was a bit more retiring and sort of willing to not really push any points too much. You know, it, it strikes me that this this comfort, as I read in in an interview with you, this comfort in ambivalence, um, re- reminds me of 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 the work of a collector. In a sense, a collection ends if the last piece is found. Yeah, I do sort of feel like that. That you know, through through reading and and writing and experience, these things happen, or I come upon this or that idea, sort of with at, you know, to some degree, with some randomness, and then that ends up sort of defining, you know, like one wrong turn and then you're writing a novel about something you you don't know anything about or maybe that was the right turn or who knows. And it, it's hard to say, especially after you've written a couple things, it's hard to really say, uh, it's hard to totally feel responsible for it. You know, it's hard to say like, well, it was all part of this design. And when I was writing my first book, I knew what my seventh book was going to be like. And it's, you know, I have some sort of control over it. It feels a bit more, a bit more random, you know. I'm wondering, um, I'm wondering, you know, in this time, this extraordinary moment we're living through globally, how this way of being of yours, which is one that is both of 
irresolution, one might say, and ambivalence has served you and maybe has served you as you are writing what I take to be a, a new book that will come out in about a year and a half or so? Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. At the very beginning of the pandemic, I had a lot of travel planned, which of course was all thrown out. And then, but some of the things got turned into digital things, you know, and so I was giving a talk digitally to MFA students. And um, at the end of it, one of them asked, how do you, how can you write, how is it possible to even write fiction now yeah. and setting, like you, you, you would have to contend with this, but this is what the student was saying, that necessarily you have to contend with this, um, this disruption and this pandemic and this social distancing and all these things. And I didn't really have a good answer for her because I hadn't really been considering it. I had had um, I'd already been working on a book that was sort of set in alternate America, um, and I'd been working on it for several years. And so the terms of my work were already predetermined before the pandemic started. So it wasn't like I was needing to, you know, invent a new world or something to work within. Um, I wasn't working in the contemporary moment. But later, it, it occurred to me, I think part of that is, is sort of seems like a an attitude that might be common to like an MFA student or like a younger writer, this sort of anxiety to respond to the present, but the world's just constantly changing anyway. So you can't really make it your task to respond to the present as it is right now, because that was what that was like. Um, that was like the fall of 2020. I think when I gave that talk and already now it, it feels very different, you know, like we're, we're moving around the world in slightly different ways and there are vaccines. And, you know, I think we start thinking about, well, what, maybe the next pandemic going to look like and we're a little bit less fearful and we're not sanitizing our groceries anymore. So if I had wasted a bunch of 2020 trying to write about 2020, by the time I had completed it, it would be too dated to even really, at least for me, I think uh, that that task sounds to me like it would create fiction or essay or whatever that's a little bit too, too of its moment and therefore immediately expires. It's almost like you know, like a uh, like a pavlova or something. It has to be served right then, or it's no good. <laughs> you know, and I'm I, a pavlova is delicious, and maybe when it's the right thing at the right moment, then you know, that's great. But um, I I am like I think I just work slower than that, and it takes me years to sort of figure things out, and um, or not figure them out, get them just you know figured out enough and unfigured out enough to be. Um, satisfying to me. It's so, inter so it's so interesting you should bring this up because Max Porter had a had a question for you, and um, oh really? Uh, yes, he had a question. Oh, for I you. love Max. Um, so do I. So do I. He and I have a, a, a plan at some point in time uh, to play ping pong together. I'm I'm tremendously competitive <laughs> when it comes to ping pong. I actually find that what I do for a living is a form of ping pong, but. Max believes that he'll be yeah, much absolutely. much better than I am since he's much taller. But we w we will we will see, Catherine. If possible, I'll have you be the referee. But Max's question to you um, is: Are you writing at this moment in a blaze as you did with Pew, or are you revising a lot as you did in your earlier stories and first novel? Well, I'm more. It's worse than that. It, it's a little more confusing. <laughs> I did, at the beginning of the pandemic, finish something, which, in fact, when I looked back at it and spoke to my agent about it, realized it was very far from finished, and I had to kind of 
throw it out and rewrite it for the most part, which I've done before. And so it was, you know, a task that I, I felt it wasn't, it sounds worse than it is. When people hear you like threw out a novel and rewrote it, it really wasn't that dramatic. It was just this rewriting process and sort of, it, it was a, it was a matter really of um, reorienting the sort of basic perspective of the book. And so that's in some ways a really difficult task and in other ways, just fine. It's, it's, it's accomplishable, but but I'm I'm done I'm done with it. I'm basically waiting on copy edits, which is a different. So I'm like about to enter the kind of funhouse mirror version of like after you finish the book and then you have to look at it 17 different times and think about it in terms of grammar and you know layout and all these these things and read it over and over and over again and look for errors and inconsistencies and that's not the best part of writing something. It's sort of the hardest part in some ways. But I'm not really. I don't really know what I'm working on. This is the first time I haven't had a novel. Every time I finished a novel, I'd already had another novel sort of asking for my attention. And so it's the first time in like 10 years I haven't had a novel. And I, I, so I'm in a very molten, weird stage of not being sure what to do. Do you enjoy this state? Because you've also spoken about very eloquently about what I would call the importance of idleness. I am being very idle. Yeah. And it's, I have been known to speak about the importance of idleness, but I have yet to become a person who's very comfortable with idleness. And so I'm... Because? I think probably just a sort of overwrought Puritan American Mm. work ethic (laughs) of sense of like, you know, if I'm not immediately accomplishing something either in the work realm or in the domestic space or whatever there's a kind of deeply ingrained sense that God is unhappy with me. And, you know, I don't, I'm very much an atheist now, but I can definitely feel the spite of God <laughs> continually. It's not, it's, it's, um, I imagined it too clearly as a child. And so it's just permanently in there, you know? You know, so. I, I mentioned, I mentioned Pew because it came up in, in Max's question I love, mm-hmm. I, I love uh, the epigraph to, to Pew of Ursula Le Guin. Um, I'll, I'll read a tiny little bit of it, and then I'd, I'd love you to unpack why it's permanently there. These people go out into the yeah. street and walk down the street alone. They keep walking and walk straight out of the city of Omelas through the beautiful gate. They keep walking across the farmlands of Omelas. Each one goes alone, youth or girl, man or woman. Night falls, a traveler must pass down village streets between the houses with yellow lit windows and on out into the darkness of the fields. Each alone they go west or north towards the mountains. They go on, they leave Omelas, they walk ahead into the darkness, and they do not come back. The place they go towards is a place even less imaginable to most of us than the city of happiness. I cannot describe it at all. It is possible that it does not exist, but they seem to know where they are going, the ones who walk away. From Omelas, I read the whole epigraph. I couldn't stop somehow. Forgive, <laughs> forgive me. It's hard. It's hard to cut her off. It her, really is, and you know that story is. It's so extraordinary. Yeah. So the way I wrote Pew was very different than any book I had written before, or story, or anything. Um, in which, at the very beginning, I already had a sense of this character who had no gender, no race, um, no discernible age, and 
um, would not speak. And, and I knew somehow that character was in something like the South and that the book would take place over a week, which is an enormous amount of information for me to have at first. And I've, I never that way in writing fiction. It's always much, much, much sketchier. And it's more it's a sentence or a feeling or something. And this was just kind of um, just a very unusual way for me to start. And so I also wrote it sort of unusually. I kind of, my partner, um, his name's Jesse Ball. He writes his books very quickly. Every, every single one of them takes him about a week and he'll just write all day. It's and infuriating. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is kind of infuriating. And so this was the first book I had written entirely um, since I had, since we had been together. And um, I kind of felt like, well, if he can write that quickly, maybe I, maybe I could write it in a month. And so I kind of gave myself the task of like, it's going to take place in a week. You're going to write it in a month. And then we'll just, if, if it doesn't work, you only lost a month. It's not a big deal. But it took me about three months and then I put it away for a little while. And then I went back to it and did like a very um, deep revision, right? I, I threw out a lot, but, but I still stayed with that character in that place in one week. And I just kind of was, you know, I, I threw out maybe 60% of it the first time and then put it away and then came back to it and threw away about like, you know, another 30% and then changed it. And after about a year of kind of on and off work, it was done, which was very fast for me. But I don't, <laughs> I don't imagine doing that again. It was sort of like a special like way of working just for, for that book. It suited the mood that the occasion of that book demanded. But since then, I have gone back to my like, you know, scrabbly sort of bower bird kind of falling apart at the same sort of way of working that's a bit a bit more chaotic and time consuming and um and being consumed by the writing but and and Ursula Le Guin why why that passage ah yeah that's what I was trying to respond it's to. perfect so, it's per digre so middle, you know I always say digression <laughs> is the sunshine of narrative so it was in I was in the middle of this process and I had never read that story and I heard somebody mention it and the, what it was about and I realized oh I, I never read that story and I, I went and read it and it really kind of gave me a um, sort of a philosophical key to understanding why I was writing Pew to begin with because I did I had these kind of constraints in a sense of like well I think I, I want to work with this kind of character in this kind of space and this timeline but I didn't know why I didn't really have like a philosophical position or really, I really what it was I didn't have enough questions I didn't have I didn't know what questions the book was trying to raise until I read that story and it kind of gave me a key to understanding um, who this character was that has no character and who they were related to on a kind of um, subconscious level and I think I think you know Le Guin is one of those writers whose work and her perspective and her you know special way of character building and the way that philosophy philosophy sort of bleeds into her her fiction and in overt and less overt ways I think it's she's so influential that um I think I was kind of already indirectly influenced by that story before I had even read it so yeah so it was kind of it ended up being like uh, kind of it was a map in a certain way and and her, her sentence I cannot describe it at all must have resonated very strongly yes yes exactly it's like you know it's another part of this this panel discussion. Bartholomew is talking about how much he doesn't like the word ineffable, but that certainly that most fiction writers are trying to work towards the kind of ineffability. You know, they're trying to convey some sort of knowledge that 
concept outside of language, even though we're just we're using language to try and get there. And that's the kind of the paradox of the fiction writer. You know, it, it, it brings to mind the, the wonderful line of, of Buñuel, who said, I have always been on the side of those who seek truth, but I part ways with them when they think they have found it. Yeah. One thing I have been trying to, to write in the last few months is an essay about being a kind of childhood religious nut of my own making. Because it wasn't like my family wasn't, I mean, we, were, we went to a church a lot because that was sort of the, the sort of social order of the small southern town I grew up in. And um, my parents were Christian and they would say they're, you know, they believe in God and all these things. But I really, I got very deeply into it. You know, I read the, I read the Bible myself and I sort of had my own ways of thinking about things. And it was sort of, um, it was like an obsession. And this essay, uh, Catherine, is, um, w would you say that it, it's part memoir? You know, I... I hesitate to even talk about things that are, are not finished. Right. That's all I really know about it for sure is that it's not finished. But I, you know, I'm trying to look a bit more um, directly at the kind of the sort of fever of, of that time and how I can make sense of it a little bit better now that I'm, you know, some safe distance away from it. I'm really looking forward to to reading your your forthcoming book, which I which still has the title of Biography of X. It does, yeah. Yeah, it comes out in like early 23. In in closing, very sadly, might might I say, Sasha Frere Jones had a had a question for you, which in in part we've been addressing a little bit. He he said um, he, that he would like to know how you and and Jesse Ball divide up your your workspace. Um, I imagine that he's interested in it, like every writer is, uh, who who might have a partner. How does that work? How do, do you both work at home? Do you both have offices? Can you? And this is the part that interests me the most, which is, can you write around each other? And you were speaking about how Jesse Ball writes so quickly. I'm wondering whether you go into the closet or go far away to write. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny because. It's almost like Jesse's not a writer in, in that he doesn't wake up every morning with the anxiety to get to work like most writers I know have. And so I'm very fortunate. And we both do have our own space and he has his, his workspace to do what he does. And I have mine, which is a first in my life. But yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not really an issue <laughs> because he, he just, he works so quickly. So he doesn't really have to, work at all and so I, I get to be the one that's uh trudging up the stairs and locking the door and and doing whatever i do in there and then you know he's just delighted when i'm done he's like okay well now we'll go for a walk you know he teaches also at the school of art institute and so i i guess his his teaching he's still doing that remotely and that doesn't intrude it's kind of it worked out i don't know i wish i had some sort of like oh yes well we have some sort of system of colored lights that we turn on and off to make it clear that you can or cannot come in the door. But I think it's just a, a little more organic than, than all of that. Catherine, it's been such a pleasure to talk with you. I, I, I really have enjoyed this moment very much. And I hope when, when travel permits it, um, we will sometime Likewise, me meet uh, in person. But it's been a real, real pleasure to speak to you. Yeah, I, I hope to referee that ping pong game between you and Max someday. Please, please, I'll, I'll let him okay. know. He'll be delighted. Take very good care. All right, take care. Bye. Bye-bye.
to support this show and Dublab's progressive programming, go to dublab.com support.